Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show to ease your expat overwhelm and be inspired by other newcomers' stories. I am your host, Kate Johnson, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Join me as I chat with fellow expats and share their unique challenges, triumphs and revelations as they build their new lives here. It's great to have you. This week is Expert Week. Our interviews with newcomers to Canada will be interrupted every now and then to sit down with seasoned experts on all things from immigration law to financial or real estate advice. This episode, I sit down with Veronica Wilson, a Canadian immigration lawyer who understands what it's like to live abroad. She lived in South Korea for five years and now dedicates her time to helping others successfully immigrate to Canada. Trying to change the narrative around um, immigration and refugees and how it is um, like a win-win situation for everyone. And the the Canadian economy needs needs more workers. There's labor shortages everywhere. We are a very large country, and there's a lot of demand that's not being filled. So why not uh, use this international pool of talent? Veronica is so relatable and easy to talk to and makes very complicated law content way more understandable. Ugh, so needed. Express entry is one of the most common pathways chosen by skilled immigrants in the quest for Canadian permanent residency. We chat about my personal experience applying for PR and she breaks down the application process step by step, sharing common mistakes that we should avoid. Let's start the show. Hi, Veronica. It's so, so good to see you again. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to speak with you. Yeah, Veronica was one of our amazing live speakers at the first Expat Expo event in Toronto. So back then you you shared such great advice on the Canadian permanent residency application process. So I'm sure this is going to be a truly valuable episode. So thank you so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your career so far. So what made you decide to be an immigration lawyer? Um, yeah, so it's uh, something that I kind of stumbled across. It wasn't a goal of mine to become a lawyer. And most people that know me or meet me are kind of surprised that I am a lawyer. <laughs> so I had after I went to university, um, I studied communications and um, sociology and had a strong interest in social justice. And I didn't know what I wanted to do um, with that degree. And pretty much everything I learned um, is now obsolete, oh. which kind of dates me a little bit. But like, Technology has advanced a lot. <laughs> so I ended up going to South Korea to teach English. And I was planned to just go for a year um, and then come back and maybe pursue a master's degree, but just fell in love um, with the country, with the experience, with being with um, people from all different countries that were also in Korea, and ended up staying there for um, about five and a half years. So wow. having the English-speaking skill there was something that was considered valuable um, at the time. It was 2006, 2011. So it was, there was a high demand for English teachers and I got a lot of work and was paid well and treated well and it was really fun. So, mm-hmm. and also just fell in love with traveling at the same time. Um, I would work contracts and then go travel for two or three months in Southeast Asia and really got to see the world and have a different perspective on how things work and just really understand the the privilege that um, I have as a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. I began to work with um, North Korean refugees and I was involved in this organization that um, taught Korean culture and um, Western culture to people that defected and um taught English as well. And we would just organize these cultural trips where we take them around South Korea and teach them um, about things that they had never even experienced before. Like wow. um, just seeing a, a foreign person, like I have light eyes and that was like considered very shocking. So that yeah. was just a really um, valuable and life-changing experience. And I wanted to sort of pursue something in my career that worked with um, people from vulnerable populations and uh, helping out in some way. So within the Amazing. organization, I volunteered with um, 
the like the president and the directors, they were all lawyers and like human rights lawyers or refugee lawyers. And I had never really considered that as a career pathway. And the more I researched it, I thought having a law degree could really put me in a good position to to help work with with people uh, from other countries and uh, coming to Canada. Amazing. And it's such a rewarding career, I'm guessing. You said, you know, you're interested in social justice and now you can really actually make a difference. You know, it's a lot of us can feel so powerless to help. You know, now you can actually make a real difference with your, you know, your profession. It must be so rewarding. So um, what's been the most fulfilling part of, of your career as an immigration lawyer so far? Um, yeah, I try my best to to help people, and that is the most fulfilling, absolutely. And just using the skills and knowledge that I have to kind of create solutions and fi- figure out pathways for people who would have otherwise not have uh, considered or had um, the the means or expertise to navigate. So what I have been doing now and the reason that I, I went out on my own, I, I now work for myself at a law firm called Roots Immigration Law and I started about a year ago, um, was because I got involved with an organization called Talent Beyond Boundaries mm, and it's called TBB. Yeah, it's such a wonderful organization. They are based in Lebanon and Jordan. So they help like refugees and displaced persons that are in those countries who are skilled workers, meaning that they they just happen to be under refugee circumstances, but they're like highly educated, have mm. strong work experience, like engineers, nurses, doctors, um, carpenters. And these skills are, there's currently like a shortage in Canada. So mm-hmm. this is something that this organization tries to match Canadian employers that are facing labor shortages with um, people in refugee or displaced circumstances who have the skills and bringing them to Canada through this economic pathway um, as a complement to the the refugee humanitarian resettlement pathways that we have in Canada but are quite limited. Mm. So a lot of my work um, I do is through economic immigration um, with like express entry as a pathway for PR, um, work permits and things like that. So now I get to use that experience and that knowledge and apply it to my interest in helping refugees and social justice by like filling these these labor shortages in Canada with international talent. Um, and that has been extremely rewarding and exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a win-win for everyone, isn't it? I mean, like you said, they're so well-educated and they, and they want to come to Canada and, and help the the job shortages and, and make a difference in this country and you know that's what Canada needs so it, yeah it's a win-win for everyone and for you to help is, is incredible so when they come to Canada do they have to go back to school to recertify or is there you know different loopholes that they can go through and with that um depends on the type of occupation but they're going through the same pathways that any international like foreign worker would go through like they're meeting all of the requirements and have uh the employer had to try to find a canadian citizen or permanent resident and had um hired this person as the best um, fit so something like uh, there's a cabinet maker and he would his skills are easily transferable so he was able to work um, but what we're finding too with the in the healthcare workers that they are experienced nurses um, in Lebanon and then when they come to Canada you would need to be certified and get your license here so they're coming with um, I guess lower, lower skilled, lower paid jobs at first. Right. And at the same time, um, telling beyond boundaries and, and sometimes the employers are supporting their certification and, uh, licensing process so that they can transition to nurses once they're qualified within Ontario because you have to be physically present here to do that process. So um, there is a bit of a transition sometimes, but um, a lot of, of them like in computer, um, like IT software engineers, there's no additional training and uh, the employers have found that they're ahead of the, ahead of the rest in, in terms right. of ready yeah, to go. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's just so encouraging because it's great to meet you and to talk to you about these things because you just hear so much negativity around the word refugee and around the words immigrant and immigration. There's just so much negativity that can go around that. And to, and to chat with somebody like yourself who works with all these incredible organizations, who's actually showing, you know, refugees and immigrants for what they are and, and what they can bring to Canada. It's just so refreshing. So yeah, that's exact. That's exactly it. That trying to change the narrative around 
around um, immigration and refugees and how it is um, like a win-win situation for everyone. And the the Canadian economy needs needs more um, workers. There's labor shortages everywhere. We are a very large country and mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, demand that's not being filled. So why not... Uh, use this international pool um, of talent. Yeah, it's such a strange narrative, isn't it? It just really confuses me where where it even came from to the point where it's like a threat when you said it yourself that there's all these amazing job opportunities that need to be filled and there's not enough people to fill them. So where is the threat in that? It's, um, yeah, it's amazing that there's organizations and people like yourself doing that and helping people and yeah, fantastic. So Before we get into the nitty gritty of Canadian PR, I just want to quickly say that Veronica is Canadian, so we have diverged from the usual guest criteria of being new to Canada, but she does understand the expat experience. As she just mentioned, she lived in Korea, South Korea for five years. Amazing. Um, and then you also know firsthand what it is like to be a newcomer to Canada because your husband, Martin, is one. <laughs> so he is originally from Dublin in Ireland. So yeah, in the spirit of the podcast, let's chat very quickly about his experience as an immigrant. Um, when did he come to Canada? Let us know all about Martin. <laughs> sure. I love talking about Martin. Um, so he first came to Canada on a working holiday work permit. So it's a really common pathway, especially for people from Ireland. So you can get a working holiday one one year. So he did that in 2006. And then when he returned back to Ireland, there was um, Canadians that were traveling like within the same program. It was kind of like a swap. So they were now in Dublin. So he met up with a bunch of Canadians um, there and they were all from Ottawa. So after he finished his master's degree, he decided to return to Canada. And this time he went to Ottawa because that's where his his friends that he had met in Dublin were. Um, Yeah. So that's where I met him because I was going to law school in Ottawa. And so he came for his second working holiday work permit there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So you met in Ottawa. And um, yeah, what drew him to you? Where, where did you meet? And what did you like about him? <laughs> um, <laughs> classic love story. We met online. Um, uh-huh. So after my first year of law school, like I had come just from South Korea to law school, I, I came back in August 2011 and started school like two weeks later. So I was experiencing like a reverse culture shock, um, uh-huh. just kind of readjusting to everything back to um, what was once familiar. And um, I just kind of found that all of the my stories and the conversations that I was having, I was trying to relate to everyone, but I would explain like, oh, when I was scuba diving in Indonesia and I'm like oh I wanted to like punch myself in the face when I said that right you sound so pompous like ooh, when I was backpacking through Bali exactly (laughs) um which I did (laughs) me too (laughs) so after like the first year of law school I was in Ottawa and a lot of friends um that I met had returned to the cities they're originally from so I went online and was just kind of looking to meet other people to explore the city and I saw his um his profile it was he said that he was Irish and that and he was in front of the at the Kremlin in Moscow so like oh he likes to travel too mm. so then we just met up there and and headed off right away and um wow and was it a similar process as it is today to get permanent residency or was it more simple is it more difficult what was the the difference um it was a completely different process so in 20 January 2015 is when they introduced the online electronic express entry process but prior to that it was paper-based so oh my god I cannot imagine oh (laughs) yeah it was there's a pros and cons um the good thing about it was there the criteria you just had to meet the criteria and then submit your application so it was first come first serve so there wasn't this points-based system where you're competing against other people and like the highest points the highest English level gets invited okay so that's pretty cool um the downside was the processing time was a lot longer um probably around two years it could be quicker but it would depend and then also um, there would be subject to quotas. So uh, I remember 
um, you would submit something and then all of a sudden they would return it because, oh, we met our quota for 2014 and we're no longer accepting applications. Oh, wow. So that was okay, <laughs> like a risk as well. Yeah. So that was the previous process. So um, I don't know which one I prefer. I, I Make it as simple as possible. I know. I know. I have a lot of issues with the... Um, the current system and, and prioritizing like age and English language ability as kind of key factors in, in, in succeeding. But um, it does work for a lot of people and it is a lot faster processing. Like the reason it's called express entry is because they are um, processing them within pre-COVID within six months. I've had two or three now that were within like under six weeks they became a oh my resident. goodness what yeah. mine took you know close to a year so yeah it was stressful and mine was delayed um randomly you just log into the account and it says this is taking longer than usual full stop like yeah. there's no reason there's nothing given no it's just like why though like i've done everything right so yeah very different experiences for different people yeah six weeks to to little old me taking a year it's it's crazy yeah they have one i've had ones that are over a year as mm. well and it was like a single um irish citizen and it was no reason it was very straightforward yeah. uh, kept following up i even did a like access to information request to see if there was something that could be causing the delay and it's just i don't know like backlog human error just mm. that's something else to keep in mind is there there are times when applications do get forgotten, so you do have to to poke and follow up and see yeah. what's happening. I feel like the biggest challenge for me was that I didn't know how to poke and follow up. So this is where, you know, a professional mm. would be a great way to go down. And I was very close to calling an immigration lawyer and saying, actually, look, I probably need to get get you to come and help me because yeah it, I would log in and it would just say that message or you've been delayed um and then it gave me a couple of reasons why commonly things get delayed but all of those things I was 100% certain was not me <laughs> so I was like okay so what's going on so you try to call them and then it's like we are experiencing a high volume of calls right now please try again <laughs> <laughs> Oh and then they just the hang up. Center. They just hang up on you. There's not. I'm like, I would be on hold for like four hours if that was what it took. But they don't give you that option. <laughs> they just tell you, sorry, bye, boo. And they just hang up on you. So okay, like here's a here's a tip I may regret because it's going to cause more people to get in queue and allow me not to. But <laughs> um, yes, it's common that they will hang hang up on you if they're experiencing longer than volume delay. But if you wait till you get to the number selection, like you just listen to everything that they have to say and then if you want x press one if you go one three zero i don't even know what those buttons do but if you go one three zero most of the time it allows you to speak to an officer and hold <gasps> exclusive people <laughs> exclusive we've cracked the system but not all the time not all the time and before covid they had like this callback system which was amazing you were, could leave your phone number and they would call you back and then the phone would ring and it'd say like canada and it's like oh canada's oh, calling canada is calling oh my god yeah yeah another another really good tip I can give is that so because I couldn't get through to anybody um I actually checked with my work benefits because they had credits for things like that so like you could pay for immigration lawyers and different advice and professionals and stuff that was covered under my benefits which I thought was really cool and I had no idea that 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 was a thing so I someone told me about it I think it was a Facebook group thing but um I actually asked my work benefits and they were like yeah we actually do cover like a call with an immigration lawyer yeah um so if you um are experiencing a long delay like the tips that I could recommend um even if you do get through to the call center they they're just um like an agent that's accessing your file and they can't really explain anything about it they don't Mm. the details of what's going on and for that you need to order like the the ATIP, which is an access to information and privacy request. So anyone can get access to the file. Like it's your file, your information. So it's $5. You do it online. Um, It takes like five minutes and then it should be within 30 days. You get an email and a copy of your entire file. So sometimes just ordering the ATIP will like prompt the file because whoever's working on your file will know, oh, an ATIP is on it. Like they're getting suspicious. Maybe they hired a lawyer like to try to dig in. So it kind of gives it a nudge too. So that's 
basically all you can do. Yeah, for five dollars. I wish I knew that. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a, a something that's really important to remind yourself as well. Like I had to stop myself when I was getting really frustrated because it is, like you said, one human that has your file and they are a human being and it's their job and they go in and they make their coffee and then they sit down with your file. And it's so, yeah, there is a human as- aspect to it as well that you have to consider and, and have a little bit of patience. But yeah, it's yeah, it can be very frustrating. So let's dive in and chat through Canada's permanent residency application process and the common mistakes that you see applicants making. Um, really, really valuable to hear from an immigration lawyer and hear those mistakes that other people have made so we can avoid them. So yeah, I, as I mentioned, I've never been more confused and stressed going through this process myself. So there's just so many pathways to choose from, documents to gather, tests, references, you know, all the things to collect. So there's definitely a lot of room for mistakes. And yeah, I know many people who have made just such a small, small, small one, and then their entire application is rejected or delayed. So yeah, it's great to have an expert like you, Veronica, to, to forewarn listeners, give us some great tips and advice. Um, yeah, what's the first mistake that you'd like to run through with us? Yeah, I just want to say a little bit about Express Entry before we get into the the common mistakes. So it is the main application process for permanent residents in Canada for skilled workers. And it's just the process, but you have to be eligible for one of the programs before you can enter it. And that's like having Canadian experience or like foreign work experience, which is the federal skilled worker class. And then there's a trades category and also some with provincial nominations. So that right there is a little bit confusing. Um, and the program is designed for users to to access without the assistance of an immigration lawyer. And um, I wish that it was simple for everyone and that was the case. But it's, yeah, as you said, unfortunate that a lot of my clients have come to me after either trying on their own and like mm. giving up or have got uh, some request for more information or have been refused and and needing to try again. And the reason why I think I mentioned because express entry is that it's it's supposed to be processed quickly, but also it's a little bit more cutthroat because of the processing quicker. If you don't have the right document um, or you can't prove what you said you did, they mm-hmm. will just refuse it instead of going back and asking for additional documents, with the, which they do with other applications. So I just wanted to give like a super quick overview about what it is. Maybe people are tuning in who have no idea. I've heard of this express entry. I have no idea what it is. And and the things I'll follow will make more sense um, to start that way. So uh, basically, it's completely online. And you start by making express entry profile. And this is just creating like an expression of interest that you're interested in applying for permanent residence. You type in the information to explain how you are eligible. You don't have to provide any documents. Um, but all that's required to do that is your um, passport, your language exams. So you have to take in English or French or both and have the like actual results in order to start. And then education assessments if you have education outside of Canada. So they do a point, it's a points-based system. They look at your age, language, education, work experience inside and outside of Canada, as well as um, there's other criteria. Like if you have a sibling um, in Canada, if you studied in Canada, if you have a spouse or a partner, all that stuff gets put into a profile. You enter it and then you get a score and that profile gets placed into an express entry pool for 12 months and after 12 months it will expire but you can always um, just submit another one. Based on your score um, you will either proceed to the next stage or not. So something that I commonly, like a common misconception is that if you have an express entry profile, um, you are, you have status, like this gives you status or you can apply for a work permit or something like that. But having a profile is just like, there's no fee. It's just expressing your interest. It doesn't provide you with any, with anything really. Mm. So what you are waiting for is an invitation to apply. So the second stage is um, getting an invitation to apply from the government most exciting day ever yes i love it 
So I have my own like representative portal. So everyone, you can do it through your own account or I have a rep portal. So when there's a draw, like I will know who will get it or not. And then it sometimes it takes like up to 24 hours to get it. So I don't want to tell them until it actually comes and I can like show it to them. That's my favorite part. Yeah. And it really doesn't mean anything, but I was so excited. It's just basically saying, okay, great. You can now apply. (laughs) So it's really not even anything that substantial, but it's just like, yes, I've been to like the first stage of applying. I want to correct you. It is substantial. It is really hard to get these days. And if you, Uh if you provide everything, if everything that you put in your profile is correct and you can provide the documents, then it's like a pretty good success rate. Like there's really no reason why it should be. Um, Mm. And and the draws are so unpredictable. So like getting it right now is getting it at any time is definitely really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. How do you find out about draws, the dates that they're being done, how many places are being drawn? Tell us where to go to to track that if you're waiting to be drawn yourself. Yeah. um, So the dates, they're all over the place. It used to be every Friday and then it was Wednesdays and now they're like Wednesdays and Fridays. They're (laughs) around noon Eastern time. But what I do, I just subscribe to a bunch of different like messaging services. Um, I think IRCC has one. Um, Other like bigger immigration law firms have their own kind of like news service. Um, And so I would get like a pop-up. Check Twitter as well. If you follow me on Instagram, I hope to post immediately um, up when there's a a round. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit confusing, but if you have the, the, it'll tell you the the lowest ranked candidate invited score. So like uh, just yesterday, yeah, yesterday there was a draw for 471. Um, So if you had 471 or higher, like you should get it. I I don't, I've never had someone that had made the cut and did not get an invitation. So if it does take time for it to arrive, um, just be patient because it will. That's probably stressful. Yeah. So the score that you're referring to, um, you mentioned it was just your express profile that you submitted. So it's age and all of those things. Um, That score is carried over through the whole application and considered throughout? Or is it just that initial first draw pool situation that the score matters? It's it's carried through the whole thing. So once you get the invitation to apply, your job is to provide documents to prove that you earned that score. So oh, okay. So you're justifying everything you put. So don't lie in stage one, basically. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, that being said, if you did make some mistakes in the profile, it can be corrected at the um, PR stage. But if it is a change that would change your score, then um, it will only be okay if you would still make the cutoff for that week's draw. So invitation to apply just means you have 90 days to submit a complete application for permanent residence. And this is meaning filling out a bunch of information in the profile, more information that you probably had fun doing, your 10 years of your travel history, 10 years of your addresses, of personal history, work experience, all that stuff. I did. And then I I found I did struggle with that because... 10 years of my work experience was going into like when I was in high school in England. So I'm working in some restaurant. So I would put that down. And then I didn't realize that that would mean later on that I had to upload (laughs) references from every single one that I just declared. So if you're submitting jobs, make sure that you you know that that then means you're going to have to go and get that reference later on in the application. So yeah, these restaurants were closed. You know, there was nobody there anymore. There was no way of finding this manager from 10 years ago of some Caribbean restaurant I used to work at when I was 16. (laughs) And I just made a PDF. And in the letter, I just said, this business is no longer open. Unfortunately, I'm unable to get a reference for this one. And then I submitted that PDF in place of what where the reference should have been and then yeah that actually was accepted I've I've got PR so it works so (laughs) so I just want to clarify that point um so you only need to provide this is probably the most common thing that I come across is you only need to provide reference letters and proof of work experience for work that you got points for right so when you look at the program you applied under so say it's Canadian experience class and you um have one year of work experience in Canada and then Maybe you um, didn't earn any points for foreign work experience or you earn less than a year. You don't have to provide any points for that 
foreign work experience. And okay. especially if it's not skilled um, or considered skilled, and that's a whole other conversation that I can get into. Wow. But um, I just made so much more work for myself. Yeah. For nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure my caseworker enjoyed reading all my letters. You did exactly <laughs> what you should do is upload a letter of explanation. and But instead of mm-hmm. saying um, it's closed, you can say that I am not required to provide evidence as this work experience didn't provide any points, like something like that. And another huge tip is the points cap at three years for foreign work experience. So say you were, you put your past 10 years and you worked somewhere for four years. And before that you worked somewhere for a year, anything over three years doesn't count for points. So you'd only need to show the work experience for the the one, the first one that includes three years. Does that make sense? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I definitely overworked myself then. That's so interesting. There you go. Don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. You want to keep it as like clean and simple as possible. And I, I like to think that about the human on the other end. So I make my applications mm. very pretty, a lot of explanations. My paper applications are like highlighted and color coordinated so that if I was the one looking at this I'd have like no doubt about what is in there how they're eligible yeah and it's just reading and rereading and rereading and rereading like every single instruction because I was just obsessed with it I was like this you know um this particular letter from my current employer in Canada, they're requiring that it's on letterhead, professional letterhead. (laughs) They need this date. They need the salary I'm being paid. They need the job. You know, all of the things that they're requesting for that letter. Just make sure you're like rereading it like 50 million times and making sure that what your employer gives back to you is adequate. If it's not, you have to ask your employer to redo it because it, it will cost you potentially the whole application and being it delayed. And so, yeah, I, I was always just rereading everything and making sure that every tiny thing that they requested to be in that letter was like in the letter I was submitting. 100%. That's great. That's the first thing that I was going to talk about is like the adequate work experience. So after you, so what you're doing in the second stage, you get the invitation, you have 90 days, you um, upload So you type in all this information. So I recommend doing it on a separate document before you actually put it in because um, it can get confusing when you're writing your travel history, work history, education, if you're just typing it in. And then when you do have it in separate like tables, say in a Word document, you can easily check for consistency. So your address history, um, which they want to the day, um, which is just so silly. (laughs) But if you're, you say that you lived in London during this time, but then I look at your education and that same time you were in Australia, like it doesn't match up so it's just easier to like get it right on paper or um on a word document and then type it in after so then once you do submit it um then you immediately get a document like a confirmation of submission or confirmation of receipt and this document is really important for whether or not you're going to apply for a bridging open work permit which i want to talk about as well um but one other thing if with this 90-day deadline, um, especially with COVID, if you're not able to get a document um, because of COVID or just for, for any other reason you need more time, you can upload like a letter of explanation that um, with details about why you are unable to and like document your effort. So say it is a, a police certificate and the embassy sent you an email saying, you know what, we, we're just... I've been backlogged, like upload that email, explain it, and then they they won't refuse it. But if you just don't include anything, then that's going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great tip. Okay. So yeah, that was really useful just to chat through the process. So yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is that, like you said, there's a human and look at it as if you don't have it, just tell the person that you don't have it. It's just so simple, but it can sound scary when you have this formal application and it's asking for something that you don't have. But yeah, just chat to the person that has your case. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So um, yeah, let's dive into some common mistakes that you see and um, what we can avoid. Yes. Uh, so one of the ones I briefly touched on earlier was uh, thinking that you have status by submitting either an express entry profile or the permanent residence application, which you'll kind of see as EAPR. It's the acronym. It's Electronic Application for Permanent Residence. So when you're reading through the online materials, you might see EAPR. So 
just by submitting this, um, if you're in Canada or outside of Canada, like there's no status with that at all. So mm. if you're here as a visitor, then you submit your PR and your visitor status expires, you need to submit an extension, like having a PR does not grant any status. So where it does help is with bridging open work permits. And this is something that you can only apply for in certain criteria, meaning you have to already be on a valid work permit and it's going to expire in four months or less and you submit your permanent residence application before it expires. Mm -hmm. But you don't get a new SIN number, do you? It doesn't give you a new SIN number. Correct. But this is also um, something that I get asked a lot. So your SIN number is tied to your status, not necessarily the expiry date. So your current work permit that you have a SIN number on, um, that's tied to that. So if that work permit expires, but you submit a bridging open work permit before it expires, you're allowed to continue, have valid status on something called implied status. So even mm, though... That's what I got. Yeah. Yes. So that's the period between work permit expiring and uh, like, it's just that document that expires. So this is something you can actually find online. Um, it's a link that I provide. Um, I often like will write letters to employers explaining because um, they'll get a letter saying, oh, your SIN expired. And so what does that mean? And like, no, even though it expired, they still have valid status. Here is the link. And then once you do get your new work permit, then you go and apply for a new SIN at that point. Mm -hmm. So just to sum up, when you have an active PR application that has not been approved and you don't have permanent residence status yet, and your work permit expire is expiring, you can go and get your bridge open work permit. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, it was a few years ago now, but I paid about $300 for it. Um, $255. $255. And yeah, then that'll allow you to keep working until you get your application approved so as long as you stay within Canada mm. if you leave then that implied status breaks and you come back in and you're you can't work that's a very important point to finish <laughs> yes. I'm glad that you added that in at the end okay what's next okay so since we we're talking about it before let's talk about the work experience documents and the, the letters so it doesn't provide a lot of guidance on what to do if you don't have traditional work experience or your company that you used to work at is no longer active. Um, so there's a lot of different types of work experience that can be included and it's not, you're not always able to get this perfect letter that they request. And a lot of times, um, what I come across is sometimes employers have HR policies are like, oh, we don't provide letters like this. This is all I can give you. And I'm like, well, what do you do then? Because if you just uploaded this, you're not going to not be successful. Yeah. So what you want to do, like what they're essentially looking for with any work experience is that um, they want to know the dates, the dates that you work there, because they're trying to calculate the criteria, which would either be like one year of work experience um, full-time and full-time for immigration purposes is 30 hours a week. Um, they want to know that it's paid. So if your letter doesn't say that it's paid, you can upload um, pay slips or upload mm. a direct deposit. Like um, you can go to your bank history and just like print, uh, print a PDF or something that shows your name, shows the date, shows the account. I get a lot of, I ask for documents from clients and it'll just be like some corner of the thing. And I'm like, wait, how do I know this is yours? Like you could have just screen captured your buddies. So yeah. think about it that way from like the human element of like, how would they know this is it? Um, mm -hmm. uh, they want to know that's a genuine employer. So if it's like a common company, then that's easy to look up. Um, they they want to know that it's like genuine and not just for the purposes of immigration. So if they had, if they don't have a website or it's really small, kind of include like an explanation why that's the case, right? So they're not like wondering. And they want to know that it's skilled. And this is like the the probably where a lot of people have, have questions about. So how they consider whether it's skilled work experience, which is the criteria for one of the programs, is not codes. Doc codes are mm -hmm. confusing and everyone hates them, but they're very important. So every job in Canada has a not code. Um, it's important to choose the right one and also make sure that the work experience in your letter or the work experience listed somewhere else 
show matches the not code that you put and the language that is online for the not code description. I have a very quick tip as well. So when you're mentioning so that one upload button where it says upload your work experience document for this role that you've declared that you worked at. So you're saying there'll be like a letter from the employer, there could be a pay slip in there, there could be your own letter explaining something else that's missing. So there's multiple things that you're uploading onto one box. I found it really useful to go to Google and just type in like combine PDF. Mm-hmm. If you just Google combine PDF, there are so many free online tools that you can like drag all your PDFs into it and then it'll spit out one PDF. <laughs> um, so that was really useful for me because I was thinking, how do you even upload like six different PDFs? So make sure that you can combine them all free. Just Google it, combine PDF. And then sometimes when I did that, it was too large and they wouldn't accept it because it's like six combined PDFs in one file. So then you just go to Google and you'd Google compress PDF. (laughs) It's all free. And um, yeah, a lot of people I speak to uh, are so grateful to even for just that tip. So I'm I'm happy if that helped you. Absolutely. Great tip. And you can also upload it in a different section too. Like, Like you mentioned earlier about how you were just putting a letter of explanation saying, I don't need to provide this work experience like there you can just add more throw more in um and and don't limit yourself to just what it says um to provide like if you the way to strengthen an application is to provide as much as possible but make sure everything's consistent so that can even be like proof of work um emails that with coworkers, um maybe like a contract or um, job offer letter that you can, even an old business card I've included, especially for different work experience for companies that are no longer active. Like you want to put in anything that you possibly can. So that mm-hmm. kind of leads to my my second common mistake when when assisting people with this is they overlook work experience that can be used. So they would think that they couldn't include work experience from a company that has gone bankrupt because how do they get this letter that IRCC says you must provide this letter? So um, the answer is that they can accept other things besides that one letter. <laughs> not, not quite clear. They, I guess they don't want to encourage it. But right. um, yeah, so you can provide contracts or job descriptions. Um, the, the key, though, is to get like an affidavit, affidavit or statutory declaration, meaning somebody is writing the letter that you would have normally got on your behalf. And then they swear in front of a lawyer or a notary that what they put in this letter is true. Um, and that can serve in place of it. But you'd have to have someone that could be in a position to write this. So I just did one recently. It was a pretty big company and their HR wouldn't provide um, the list of duties and responsibilities. And we needed that. So we had his former manager do it and then he wrote one as well. Um, and then I found like job ads for the same position for the same company. And like, you know, when you, uh, it says what your duties and responsibilities are. So like right. I captured that uh-huh. and included it. So like be creative. Like a little yes. detective. Um, try to find whatever you can. <laughs> and then also payment, like, just remember those things that the dates dates you've worked there find old pay slips because they will show your hours and um the the same client was also working part-time but because it was some of them were over 30 hours a week we were able to calculate which weeks were over 30 and then have points from that yeah points from that so there's ways to like figure out work experience that you wouldn't otherwise have used what about if you're self-employed in canada what do you do then? Can you use any self-employed work if you're freelancing or are there ways to, to get points for that? Or what do you recommend? Uh, that's an excellent question. So anyone with self-employed work experience um, is not able to get points under the Canadian experience class or in the Canadian work experience points section. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of people who think they're self-employed when they really aren't. So oh. yes, this has kind of become a bit of a specialization of mine now. Um, where people who are on contract, like let's say a personal trainer, so they are on a contract, they don't get a T4 um, and they're working for like one or two different employers and they think that this is self-employed so they can't um, use it for the Canadian work experience. But to determine whether or not something self-employed is not necessarily just what, um, just those conditions. So there's a test that you can apply. IRCC uses um, the CRA 
assessment of whether or not it is considered self-employed. So they look at different things when they factor into this. So one of the things is like the degree of the worker's control and like how they work and when work is performed. This um, client that I had, like she didn't bring any of her own equipment. Like this, the employer that she worked for would give her the um, the space and give her the the yoga mats and the weights and the speaker or a, a microphone all that stuff so I'm like oh tell me more tell me more and then like we kind of dive in and then there's like so many other factors that you can consider of whether or not it truly is self-employed work and then I can make the argument that it is not and then we apply for permanent resident and then um yeah so that's happened for, for her. There was someone who was an art therapist, um, a musician. Uh, it was the same. Okay. The tip there, yeah. The, the tip is to look at um, CRA guide. It's called employee or self-employed. So that's what they kind of go by, and it kind of sets out the test there. So if you're looking through that and, like, those are not applying to you in the position that you have, then um, you can make the case that it is not self-employed, even though it may look like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's fantastic. It's yeah. it's complicated. Everything's complicated, but I like, like <laughs> that's the part of, of uh, the work I find fulfilling is trying to find these loop- loopholes and and uh, navigate through the complex complexities and uh, find something that would work for people who would otherwise have not uh, not tried. Yeah, and they're giving up hope and then you swoop in and uh, <laughs> find a way around it. I like it. <laughs> and they also, um, so that was an interesting thing. Um, I lived in Australia for, I think, about 10 months. So, yeah, naturally I had to get my police certificate for Australia, for England, and for Canada. <laughs> And then, randomly, I got a request for additional document, and it was my driving history from Australia. Yeah. So, that was so strange. I mean, I lived in England for, like, most of my life, but you don't care about my driving history in England, but you're asking my driving history from Australia. I lived there for 10 months, and I didn't even touch a steering wheel once. (laughs) So, it was just really interesting, like, the random additional documents you get. um, And then you're thinking, oh, my God, it sends you into a panic that you're going to get rejected or whatever, but it was fine. I just called Australia, and I got my driving history, and... It was fine. So, yeah, it's just really funny, the the additional documents you can get asked for. I know. Australia is probably the most complicated I've come across. Um, (laughs) So just a note on police certificates. So the requirements change all the time for what is required. But right now, um, it's every country that you stayed in during the last 10 years for six months or more in a row. Mm-hmm. So I remember it was cumulative before. So I had a client that like they added up every time he was in the U.S. and then realized he needed a police certificate and didn't provide it and then just like rejected his entire express oh. entry application. Oh, so God. they've changed that to six months or more. And then people ask, um, can I use an old one? So the requirement right now is... The police certificate must be issued after the last time you you stayed there in the country for six months or more in a row. So if you only like returned to that country for a short visit and your police certificate was issued um, before, then you can still use that. And uh, some countries like have expiry dates on their police certificates. And even if it's expired, as long as it's um, issued after the last time you were there for six months or more in a row, they can still accept it. But if you're currently living there, then you would need a new one. Hot tip. Mm. And I feel like photos are really a source of stress as well, because there's so many requirements for a photo. Like, it was crazy. I was reading through it, and it was like, so the distance between your eyes and, like, the top of the photo has to be, like, this many inches, (laughs) and, like, from ear to ear, it has to cover this much of the photo, and then the diamond. And I was like, oh, what? Like, this is my face. Like, what do you mean? Like, between my eyes and my hairline? Like, what is happening? Um, So, yeah, I think I just went to Shoppers Drug Mart. If you're in Canada... You can go to Shoppers Drug Mart, which is like the pharmacy here. And they have, most of them, I think, have like a little photo booth area. And then they have everything that is asked immigration-wise already like in their camera or they have it all programmed in. So it actually is like the biggest peace of mind that like they know what they're doing and they take your photo. Yeah, so I would say go to Shoppers Drug Mart and then, yeah, again, like I said, reread all of it and measure it. I had my ruler out and I was like measuring my eyes and like just make sure because, yeah, I know a couple of people (laughs) that the photos got rejected. So, yeah. Yeah, so with with that... Being said, like, um, sometimes it's not best to trust that the 
people, mm. the photographer knows as well, because it does change all the time and it depends on the application. So if you're saying I'm just doing permanent residence, like for express entry, it's digital. Um, so if you can go somewhere that can email you a digital file, then that's great. Yeah. I'd like to quickly run through uh, all the different pathways just very briefly just because express entry is the one that like a lot of people talk about and I'm assuming that there's a, m- a million different other ways probably not a million but like a quite a lot of other programs and ways you can go to get PR um do you want to touch on any of those sure yeah um yeah thinking express entry is your only option is also like a common misconception and I would say there probably are close to a million <laughs> different options and oh my it's, god <laughs> yeah there's a lot I don't pretend to know all of them but a lot of them are are specific to the individual provinces or territories. Right. So each um, each province or territory has their own immigration pathway. Qu- Quebec has their own immigration system, like, completely. And, like, lawyers have to be licensed within Quebec. So, like, anyone that comes with a Quebec question, I just refer them. So within um, one province, let's say Ontario, for example, in their provincial nominee program, they'll have a human capital program for express entry. They have one for French uh, speaking. They have one for international students with a job offer, for foreign workers with a job offer, anyone with a master's degree, um, uh, in-demand stream. So that's just like six off the top of my head. Oh, PhD. So a, a lot of the provincial programs, you do require a job offer, but um, there are some that do not. Um and they're in Manitoba, for example, they have like this strategic initiative program um, where they will post like if you have work experience in these areas, they'll help bring you and help you find a job. So I've gotten to know a lot of the provincial nominee programs through the Talent Beyond Boundaries work. So we try to fit them through these provincial streams. So I've learned like a lot about alternative pathways. Lots of options and research. And I guess you can give Veronica or any other nearby local immigration lawyer a call to to really explore the different options. Um, Because yeah, if express entry doesn't work out, there are many other ways that you can explore and, and try and try and apply through those. So, yeah. Yeah, we can do like a whole separate podcast on some of these topics, but hopefully I was able to provide a bit of an overview um, and didn't scare anyone. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely overwhelming because there's just so much information and so many options. But um, yeah, it's been so, so valuable to just even just hear from an expert and someone who sees this every day you know, what just to expect straight off the bat. And then, you know, the very simple things we, we can do to to try and save some of that heartache that, that could be avoided. So thank you so much for, for doing that for us, Veronica. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So where can people go to, to find you if they want to reach out to you, if they have any questions, if they'd like to work with you? Um, sure. Yeah. So the firm is Roots Immigration Law. So I'm sort of still establishing my online presence, but I do have a website and uh, Instagram and Twitter. I'll put it all in the show notes so someone can uh, check that out if they are interested. And um, yeah, if you wanted to reach out to Veronica, make sure that you quote New to Canada podcast and um, you'll actually receive a free introductory assessment. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for offering that to, to listeners. Um, and yeah, have a great day. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so, so much for listening. As always, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And then if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next week. Bye.